I encourage you to take the connection card out from uh, the pew in front of you. Uh, it's a blue card there in front of you. And um, please take a minute and fill that out if you would like to request some information. Uh, there are opportunities to do that on the back or if you'd, if you'd like to give us a um, leave a question or a comment, prayer request or praise report, we would love to uh, commit that to, to prayer and consideration. If you're a guest with us here, this will give us an opportunity to get in touch with you this week. And so I encourage you to fill that out and just simply leave it on the pew and ushers will come by after the service and uh, pick it up. Yesterday was Veterans Day, and so I'd like to take a minute and uh, just to recognize the vets in our church. If you are a veteran of the uh, United States Army or, or any branch of service, actually, if you could stand that we could recognize you and thank you for your service. Uh, thank you. Uh, as Pastor Rick kind of mentioned in his, in his prayer, just as he prayed uh, in thanksgiving for our country, we have a lot of freedoms that all too often we take for granted. But we thank uh, those that have served so that we can have uh, freedom of religion, uh, for example, that we can gather here without worry of uh, persecution or, or things along those lines. I just want to make a couple announcements. First of all, uh, if you are a guest with us, there's a Connection Central booth that you that feel free to go after the service and pick up a gift. Just we have a mug there for those, and then uh, that are new with us, and also some information that provides some more information about the church. As I look at the announcements on the back of our service this week, you can tell what time of year it is. So many of these things are now beginning to announce uh, things related to Christmas. And so today, after the service, there's a Christmas choir rehearsal, and that is, and that is open to uh, anyone who would like to join. So maybe you are here this morning and you think, you know what, I could sing in the choir. Two, uh, 12, 15 after the service here in the sanctuary. And then we also just we go down. Christmas caroling is scheduled now. December 2nd. I encourage you to put that on your calendar. You know, sometimes we think, how can we be of a service to our community? Well, here's a way that we go to the convalescent homes and the retirement homes around the, in the West Covina area here, and we just sing Christmas carols to those that are shut in uh, in, in, a, in their home there, and, and some of them maybe don't get a lot of guests during the Christmas season, and we see their face lights light up as they as we go around and sing Mochizuki, and then also we're announcing that Advent, Advent devotionals will be available here in a couple weeks. And so these are things just to uh, remind us of all that is coming down the road. I'd like to share with you about a good friend of mine who is a pastor of a rural church in the Midwest. And over the last year, probably actually more like Last couple years, I've been having regular conversations with him, and uh, and uh, there's really probably the best term to use is he's kind of experienced what we could call ministry burnout. 
And uh, as we have talked, oftentimes he expresses just feelings, sometimes irrational feelings, but, you know, this is genuine to what, he's, what he feels is just feelings of discouragement, being alone, feeling spiritually dry. And uh, as I talked to him one time, uh, it, it, I, it just kind of dawned on me, part of the reason he may be feeling the way he does is it really has nothing to do with anything that he has done wrong. In fact, part of the reason he may be feeling this way is because he has done so much right. I said, part of the reason you probably feel so drained is because you are a pastor who cares so much. And as you have given yourself, you've, uh, uh, you've given your so much hard work to the church, uh, at the end of the day, it does leave feelings of discouragement, loneliness, and, and even being spiritually dry, like you've given it all away. And so as we talk, I oftentimes try to give an encouraging word, and then I try to pray for him. And I'll be honest, sometimes when I pray for him, I wonder if these are prayers that are really appropriate. Have you ever prayed for someone and you just, you kind of you feel like maybe you're at a loss of how to pray for someone? I'm sure that, that all of you have been in a situation where you're with someone that is really hurting, that's really going through something difficult, and you feel almost as if your prayers sound shallow and empty. You're not quite sure how to pray. How do you pray for someone who is feeling discouraged, alone, and spiritually dry? And then maybe you even think of your own life and, when, and you yourself have had those feelings. How do you pray for yourself when you're feeling discouraged, alone, and spiritually dry? Well, my friend, obviously, as we can easily recognize, his situation may be unique in that he's a pastor, but his situation is not unique to the position itself. I talk to people from all kinds of walks of life and stages of life who experience very similar feelings. I can remember being a teenager and having those kind of feelings, going to school and feeling kind of like I was the only Christian there, feeling all alone, wanting kind of that mountaintop spiritual experience and yet feeling discouraged at times. And I talk to young adults who express the same kind of feelings. I talk to young married couples and older singles, and I talk to parents who have little kids and older kids, and, they, and through the busyness of raising a family, there can be a tendency of, of feeling discouraged or feeling alone or feeling spiritually dry. And I talk to seniors, and I used to think that, especially for those who had walked with, for decades with the Lord, that eventually you'd kind of get this spiritual rhythm to your walk with God that you'd be immune to these type of things. But as I have talked with those that have walked with the Lord for a long time, sometimes the feelings of discouragement or the feelings of loneliness or the feelings of being spiritually dry feel even more pronounced in later stages of life than in earlier stages. And so this is the question for us today. How do we pray when we are feeling discouraged, alone, and spiritually dry? We're going to look at one of Paul's prayers from Ephesians this morning. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. 
And it is what I'm going to title, A Prayer for the Discouraged. And, uh, and, and I think that this gives us guidance on how to pray for those who are going through really difficult times, who may be struggling in one way or another. And that is because this prayer is motivated by concern for the church's discouragement. How do I know that? Well, when I began to study this passage, the first phrase there, is, uh, the, pr- the prayer starts by saying, for this reason. So I backed up, for this reason should cause us to go backwards and say, for what reason? Well, one verse is sufficient to answer that question. Verse 13, it says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are for your glory. So Paul is concerned about the discouragement of the Christians in Ephesus, and he begins now to pray the prayer. For this reason, this is Ephesians 3.14, I kneel before the Father, from whom, the whole, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray. God, I was really struck by the verse that Darren read in our call to worship this morning that says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And so God, now as we prepare to look in your word, I pray that your word would be perfect in our lives and that would revive our soul. God, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would, uh, that your word would have come alive to us and in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The letter of Ephesians, the book as a whole, uh, was written to a church that really had done nothing wrong. Uh, in fact, many of Paul's letters are written specifically to a church that it, it addresses heresy or it addresses bad behavior, and there's not a hint of that anywhere in the book. In fact, the Ephesians church has quite the reputation for being hard workers and doing what is right. Ephesians, uh, this book is actually, this would be a good trivia question, this is actually not the only letter in the New Testament that's written to this church. The other one takes place in the book of Revelation. Remember the beginning of Revelation in the first couple chapters? Uh, there are three letters to seven churches addressed individually, and Ephesus is one of them. And so uh, I want to read just a few verses from that uh, letter to this church because it gives us a glimpse of the type of church that is being addressed here with the prayer that we are looking at today. Revelation 2 Verse 1 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Okay, now, we don't have time to go into all the back. This is a very apocalyptic language, so to speak. Uh, It means that these words are coming from Jesus himself. He's the one 
that holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work and perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. In other words, you've been model citizens. You've done everything right. You're, you've, uh, you've resisted false teaching. You've worked hard. You've persevered through trials. And then uh, Jesus goes on to say, but you forgot one thing. And this may be the most important thing. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. You see, for the, for the Ephesians, the issue is not uh, hard work or orthodox teaching. It had to deal with their hearts. And Paul knew this church well. In fact, this was one of the churches that he visited on his missionary journeys. And he knew that they may have a bent towards discouragement. And so he begins to write this prayer. In fact, as I read this letter to the church in Ephesus, I can't help but think, you know what? In, in my mind, this speaks, very uh, speaks a very similar to message to how I think of West Covina Christian Church. Man, we're such hard workers. Hopefully we got good, solid teaching. My prayer is that our hearts would be fully in it, right? That's always our prayer. God, help us not to forgive, forget the most important thing. That we would love Jesus. And so Paul begins to pray. For this reason I kneel before the Father. From whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul uh, prays this prayer on his knees. Uh, we can pray in all kinds of positions. Sometimes uh, my best prayers during the week are, I feel like, Sometimes or oftentimes when I go jogging through the neighborhood, I'm running and my mind is clear and I begin to pray. One day a week I uh, run the, this mountain trail and I get up on the top and there's this, these huge views of just cities and communities and sometimes I just stand there and pray. I've got a prayer chair in my office, that's what I call it, my prayer chair, so I know how to pray when I'm sitting. And I even know how to pray when I'm laying down. I pray when I'm going to sleep. The kids wake me up in the morning, and oftentimes I pray uh, even before I roll out of bed. In fact, my morning prayer is almost always the same. God, why do these kids have to wake me up so frickin' early? Uh, uh, but, but once in a while, praying standing up or sitting down doesn't seem appropriate. Once in a while, I just feel compelled to kneel. That's oftentimes when I feel the weight of a situation or the burden of what's going on. Maybe, maybe I'm even discouraged myself or I feel the weight of what someone else is going through in their own discouragement. And the only position that seems appropriate is to kneel on my knees. I met with a woman this past week. She has uh, stage four cancer and I sit in her living room and, and, she, uh, and her bed is now in her living room because she's not able to walk the stairs and uh, she says, that's where I kneel and pray. And, it, and I wish I would have asked her, Did you, have you always knelt and prayed or just more recently when you found out you had stage four cancer? But, and, and I don't know the answer uh, uh, to that question, but I do know that she said she kneels to pray. And I have a feeling it is because 
uh, she feels the desperation of the moment. This is the only place in the Bible where Paul says he kneels to pray. And I wonder if it is because he prays a prayer for the discouraged. Now Paul is praying for the Ephesians' heart, but you might imagine that he could be discouraged himself. A little background information. Paul writes this letter while he's in prison. Two times he mentions that in the book. Chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. And then again, chapter 4, verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the call you have received. So this is a prayer from a prison cell for those who may have a bent towards discouragement. And I think the first thing I would like to point out towards about this prayer is that it is a prayer to move from discouragement to purpose. A, move to, a prayer to move from discouragement to purpose. And is that not so important for us to pray for when we pray with someone who is discouraged? God, help them to know that this is not all in vain. That there may be a reason behind this, that you're going to use this somehow for your glory. You see, Paul knew that he was in prison, and it was for a reason. As we just read there in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, for the sake of the Gentiles. Paul is sometimes called the apostle for the Gentiles. That's kind of his calling in life. He's a Jew, and so he knows his own family. The Jews are oftentimes uh, uh, very centered in their religion of around the idea that they are God's chosen people, his children. But now he has been uh, called to proclaim that the, everyone can be a child of God. You get this feeling of this purpose even in the way that Paul addresses the Father in his prayer. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family, everyone included in heaven and on earth, derives its name. You see, Paul is not discouraged because he knows the purpose for why he is struggling. And so it is good for us to remind ourselves frequently the purposes why we live and maybe even why we struggle. As a church, and we should say this more frequently, but we have said that we open our doors wide so that many may enter through the narrow gate. That's the reason we exist. That's the purpose for our existence. We open our doors wide so that many may enter through the narrow gate. What is the narrow gate? It is the way of life in Jesus. It is the way to come to know Jesus as uh, our Savior and Lord. And so that's why we do everything, or at least it should be. If it's not, we better recalibrate some things in our thinking. But it's the reason we teach Sunday school. It's the reason we help out with youth group. It is the reason we serve lunch. It's the reason we organize uh, outreach activities or lead a growth group or sing on the worship team or you name it. It is hopefully so that we are opening the doors up wider and wider and wider so that more people can enter through the narrow gate and come to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Now prison cells are extreme, right? I don't think anyone here has been in prison for the sake of the gospel. I'm pretty sure. That's part of the reason why we celebrate Veterans Day. Uh, but I am sure that all of us, and some of us more profoundly than others, have gone through things that maybe feel like a prison. 
that we've gone through things that, man, we want to escape so badly, but we're just tied to it and we can't get away. I just talked to uh, a woman this morning, and I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but uh, Julie Okura, you know Julie, uh, is a first grade teacher, right? Just had uh, parent-teacher conferences this past week. She said she has never had a class like she has this year. That she met with parents and just asked their parents about certain kids in their lives, or certain kids in their behavior in the classroom and stuff. She said, just going down the line, so many kids have been hurt as first graders in very serious ways. I mean, she told me about kids that have been molested and abused and, and uh, just awful things. And I think of all of those that are going through difficult things and the heartbreak that it can cause. And you stand before a class of first graders and you realize that there is some serious difficulty here. Your heart is broken. When a couple who has prayed for a child for a long time miscarries, they wonder, well, how could this happen? When you hear the doctors say that they'll just try to keep your loved one comfortable until the end, you're filled with grief. When getting ready for work each morning starts with some tears before you roll out of bed, you wonder if it's all worth it. Even when serving in ministry and working hard uh, for the Lord, you, and you wonder if it's making any difference, and you're tempted to throw the towel in and quit. We might not literally be in a prison cell, but we may ourselves or we may know others that are struggling desperately. And so what do we do? We kneel and pray. And we pray that God in that discouragement would somehow help us to see that there is purpose in it. That somehow even the difficulty itself might be used by God to advance his kingdom and to bring glory to himself. So that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we walk through difficult times, that God's light would shine bright. And so that as least is the case for Paul might be the case for us, that we would not grow discouraged because God is using my, our suffering for the sake of the gospel, for the spread of his love. See, it's important for us to remember that there is a purpose in all that God does. That's the first point. From a prison cell, a prayer to move from discouragement to purpose. The second point is for Christ to dwell. A prayer to move from feeling alone to companionship with Jesus. You think that I, See, I think that's a very important prayer to pray for those that are struggling. God, help them to know that you are with them. Help them to be aware that they are not by themselves, but that your spirit is with them. Picking the prayer back up in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, it's, he prays, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so Paul prays that they would be aware that God is with them. I think it's interesting that Paul is in prison 
confined to this small little space, and yet he realizes that even in this, what you would imagine to be the darkest of places, he fully understands that God is there with him. It really shows Paul's spiritual maturity. In fact, that's kind of my own little test in my life. And in fact, I use this test on others sometimes. Uh, I evaluate my own spiritual health by looking at my life and saying, how aware am I of God's abiding presence with me right now? If, if I know I am doing well uh, in my spiritual walk, I, I recognize that God is with me all the time. I, I have that kind of underlying prayer that I realize that God's presence is here with me. And I see that in other people's lives as well. I look at their lives and I think, wow, that person is really walking with the Lord. And you can tell because they, they just move with the Spirit. They're led by the Spirit. They're in prayer. A couple weeks ago, we had our growth group fellowship. And a lot of you were at the growth group fellowship, so you'll remember some of these uh, stories, but we had a t- time of open sharing, and I was am- the number one thing that came across most people shared about was just an o- a growing awareness of God's presence with them. Shugo prayed. I'm going to point out some examples here that I remember. I'm sure there was a lot. I'll miss some. I remember Shugo saying he prayed that as he types emails at work that he could use that as a time not only to communicate through the computer, but to communicate with God, that he would do that in prayer. And I thought, wow, that's a wonderful example. And Shiori, pre- and Shiori shared about how in his prayer time he's begun the practice of setting up an, in, uh, an empty chair before him. Not that there is anything uh, literal about that chair, but symbolically that helps him to remember that God is there with him as he prays. And Linda uh, Kunihiro shared that, you know, Linda's been on a lot of missions trips. She shared about how on a missions trip, it's so easy to remember that God is there with you. But she's been practicing trying to remember that God is with her all the time, even as she's going through a grocery line or something like that, that God is there with us. One example after another. These are wonderful things to grow in, an awareness that God is with us. For Christ to dwell with us. I told you my pastor friend who's kind of struggling with discouragement. He pastors a very rural church. In fact, this ch- where he is at, he has to drive 30 miles just to get to the nearest grocery store. And, uh, and he's talked about how like, just the fact that, that is, there is a loneliness to the environment. But I think really both of us know that the grocery store distance has nothing to do with loneliness. You know, we can be surrounded by people all around us and still feel very lonely. I can remember one of the times I probably felt that feeling most acutely was in my previous church. I, I was going through just a real difficult situation in, state and, uh, and situation in life, and I can remember going to church events and walking away feeling, feeling, I feel so disconnected. I feel so lonely, even in the midst of having people all around me. And you felt that. You're at work, and you're with people. You're even among family and friends, and yet you feel all alone. And so this is a great prayer. God, help me to have an awareness of, of you with me. To move from feeling alone to companionship with Jesus.
Now, companionship with others is one of the greatest gifts that God can give us. But there is a special companionship with Jesus that touches our soul in a way that nothing else can. And so this is what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about what takes place in our soul, in our inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And he prays that through his spirit you may be strengthened in your inner being. The inner being is the deepest part of who you are. It is your soul. It's the part of you that causes everything to kind of come together. Your emotions, your spirit, everything to be bound together that makes you who you are. And when the deepest part of you connects with God the Father... And Jesus, his Son, and his Holy Spirit who lives within you, that is actually when you can become most fully alive. That is what we are called to live as, as Christians. When our inner being is able to connect with God himself, that is what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 19, the fullness of God, when we are able to experience all of God in our lives. And so that's the second point. From a prison cell for Christ to dwell, and now the third point, for special intel. Special intel is a prayer to move from spiritual dryness to knowing and experiencing God's love. To knowing and experiencing God's love. I think that's really important for us to pray when people are discouraged. God, help them to know how much you really love them. Verse 17, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now when he talks about knowing the love of Christ here, he talks about grasping how it is and uh, being rooted in it, that we, may, that we may know his love. It's more than just a cognitive understanding. It's really an experience of it. And so I like, I'm going to read a couple other translations here that I think are kind of draw that out. New Living Translation. May you experience the love of, God, of the love of Christ, though it is so great you will never fully understand it. May you experience the love of Christ. The message, which is kind of a paraphrase, but I love the way it kind of draws out the meaning. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. So sometimes we think of God's love as kind of very elementary. It's the first thing you teach a little three-year-old when you're trying to teach him about, uh, about who God is. But it is actually one of the most profound truths and something that is so easy for us to forget. Just again, Revelation 2.4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. A church that did everything right and yet they, first, they forgot their first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. I hear a statistic all the time that 50% of marriages end in divorce. I'd hate to know the stat of those that were once in love with God and fell away. And so we really, really need to pray. We pray that God would fill us with an awareness of his love. Paul describes God's love as this immense love, 
a love that knows no bounds, that is wide and long and high and deep, and it surpasses knowledge. Isn't it interesting that Paul is in a prison? Technically, Paul's on house arrest, and he's got a chain around his ankle. He can probably walk about five feet in this direction and five feet in this direction, but the love he describes is bigger than the universe itself. And so, uh, and so we pray, God, help us to re- be reminded of how great your love is. And so as we prepare to kind of wrap this sermon up, I want to remind you that no matter where you are at, and maybe you are feeling like you are in a figurative prison cell this morning, maybe really discouraged, maybe feeling alone, maybe feeling spiritually dry. God's love is big enough that it can reach you there. His his love is big enough to reach into prison cells. And his love is big enough to reach into classrooms with kids who have really been hurt. And his love is big enough to reach into frustrating workplaces. And his love is big enough to reach into struggling marriages and conflict-filled homes. Into dreaded school hallways where kids don't want to go. Into the hearts that have been burned out. And into lives that lack direction. God's love is so vast. It's wide and long and high and deep. And it's big enough for whatever we would face in life. So how are you going to pray for someone who is feeling discouraged, alone, and spiritually dry? How are you going to pray for yourself? How are you going to pray for someone else? Well, this passage in Ephesians 3 is a a good starting place. And so I've made up this little idea, and I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but it helps me remember. A prayer from a prison cell for Christ to dwell and for special intel. A prayer from a prison cell for Christ to dwell and for special intel. It helps me remember that no matter what we are going through, Christ is with us and that he loves us. No matter how difficult the situation is, nothing is impossible for God. And so Paul closes the prayer this way. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, as we gather before you just uh, in prayer right now, we are very mindful that you are a God of comfort and that your love is so vast that you can touch us no matter where we are at or what we are going through. And right now, just in the quietness of this sanctuary, we might uh, put someone before you and pray that you would help them to be aware that their suffering is not in vain, that there is a purpose behind it, that you are with them, and that you love that person. Maybe we even put ourselves before you in in this regard. But God, we just lift up these names to you and pray 
to you who are able to do immeasurably more than what we could even seek to ask or what we could even imagine. You can do more than all of that according to the power that is at work within us. And so we pray that to you be the glory in this church and in Christ Jesus in this generation forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.